Well, this morning, we begin our study in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts. Acts could be considered the second part of the Gospel of Luke. The book of Acts shows us the beginnings of the church. The book of Acts shows us how the early church depended on the Word of God in prayer. Those two things. Chiefly as, as she became organized to do ministry. And so as we study the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, we'll look at verse 1 through 11 today. We're going to ask the question, what does Scripture say regarding the, the purpose and mission of the church? In the first two verses of Acts, the writer of the, of the book of Acts, Luke, he summarizes the gospel that he wrote. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke. Luke penned that entire gospel, and, and in these first two verses, Luke summarizes all the contents of that gospel in these first two verses. Luke begins... The first account I, I composed, Theophilus, and we'll come back to that. It's an interesting name. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You know, Jesus is still at work today. Even as he has ascended and he is sitting on the right hand of God the Father, he is still working. So all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. That's all 24 chapters of the Gospel of Luke are right there in those two verses. That's Luke's entire Gospel in a thumbnail sketch. Right out of the starting gate, we see a unique name, Theophilus. Well, this is a friend of Luke. This friend of Luke, this is to whom both the Gospel of Luke and Acts are dedicated. If you open up a book... Often, in the early in the book, you see a dedication. This writing is dedicated to mom or, or dad or to brother John or to my wife or to my children. But Luke dedicates it to this, this man with a unique name. And, and this name literally means friend of God. And there's a writer, last name Marshall, that writes that Theophilus is already a Christian and he can be regarded as, as one of Luke's readers. He's kind of part of the audience. And Luke writes to confirm this man's faith. And he does so in his gospel. And, and this is the point for us today. We need to have our faith confirmed by what we see in Scripture. That's the whole point of why Luke writes what he writes. We need to know the exact same things today. We need to know the exact truth about the things which we are being taught. That's what Luke told his friend, and that's what I'm telling you. We need to know the exact truth. Luke tells us that Jesus was taken up to heaven after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. We saw this last time. If you remember the end of Luke's gospel, at the very end of Luke, while Jesus is blessing his followers, he parts from them and he's carried up into heaven. But right before he leaves, Jesus gives spirit-directed orders to his disciples, to his followers. And we call these marching orders the Great Commission. So these first two verses in Acts, he summarizes his entire gospel. And then, 
In the next few verses, he breaks down what happens. So like any good teacher, any good teacher will say, this is what I'm going to tell you. And then they say, this is what I'm telling you. And then they come back a third time and say, this is what I told you. (laughs) Have any of you ever had to be told something more than once? So that's what Luke is essentially telling us. What, what I'm going to tell you, this is what I'm telling you. Hey, this is what I told you. And this is what he says. To these apostles, Jesus presents himself alive after his suffering. He's been resurrected, and he says, by many convincing proofs, he appears to them over a period of 40 days, a significant period of time, and he speaks of things regarding the kingdom of God. Jesus meets with them. He's he's been resurrected to life. They've seen his hands. They've seen his feet. They've touched his hands. They have touched his side. If you remember last time, they've even watched him eat. And when you watch someone eat, that's really kind of a personal thing. You know that person. And so they've seen him eat. They've touched his hands, touched his side. And Jesus is speaking to them of the kingdom of God. He's not talking about ball game yesterday. He's not talking about what's on social media, who what so-and-so posted. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And he gathers them together. And this is what he tells the apostles. Let me use the word apostles because we saw that earlier. The difference between a disciple and an apostle is this. An apostle is someone who has seen Jesus. John the Apostle, if you've read the letter of 1 John or you've read the Gospel of John, he talks about things we, what we've witnessed, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've touched. You know, John was there with Jesus, first-hand account. And so if someone is an apostle, it's someone who has laid eyes on Jesus. Yes, Paul was an apostle. If you remember, Jesus presented himself there on the Damascus Road. So, an apostle is someone who is, has first-hand account. And so Jesus gathers these, these together, and he commands them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father has promised. He said, which you've heard from me. I've told you this. Jesus is giving them directions. And then he says this, for, for John baptized with water. There in verse 5. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What the Father has promised. The, the apostles will be clothed, they'll be wrapped from head to toe with heaven-born, spirit-filled power from on high. And, and Jesus, then he makes this comparison between the baptism of John the Baptist and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Way back in Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, that's where we first met John the Baptist. He's the the man from out of the wild, dressed in animal skin, and he's preaching a message of repentance, and he's baptizing. And the religious leaders of that day, they approach him, and, and John the Baptist, he's actually a cousin of Jesus. He tells these Pharisees, he says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. You're to turn from your sin. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. 
his nasty, dirty shoes. I'm not even fit to touch those. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well then, as John is speaking, who comes out of the crowd but Jesus? Saying, I need to be baptized. And John says, I, I'm, <laughs> I think you've got this backward. And, they're, and they're, they're cousins. But Jesus says, this fulfills obedience if you baptize me. And I allow you to baptize me. Because Jesus is the Son of God. And what this is, this actually, skipping ahead, this really prepares Jesus for his sacrificial suffering to come on the cross. This anoints him. But that's, that's another story for another day. What happens? John baptizes Jesus. And after he's baptized, Jesus comes up immediately out of the water. And behold, the heavens, they open. And John sees the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on Jesus. And behold, a voice from the heavens. <laughs> Can you imagine? A voice from the heavens says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus mentions John in this baptism. And then he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Tells the apostles, don't leave Jerusalem yet because you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That time's coming. So listen, follow my directions. They're to wait on the promise of the Father. He's giving them directions. And so they're all together. And so... Like any good group of students, when the teacher's talking about A, they begin asking questions about B. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Has Jesus said one iota about no, no. Jesus is giving directions, and they are thinking about kingdom restoration. Before he was crucified, Jesus told us in, in Luke 19 that the disciples, what they have on their minds when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, they're thinking an earthly kingdom. They're thinking chiefly about freeing themselves from the rule of the Romans. That's what they have, that's what they have in, their, in their rearview mirror. They don't understand yet about a heavenly kingdom. And so what happens, their hopes are dashed when, when Jesus is arrested and when he's tried and when he's killed. And now Jesus is alive. And so the apostles, they're, they're thinking, well, what now about the restoration and the kingdom? Are we back on track with this? They're thinking of, of an earthly kingdom. You see, the Christ followers, obviously, but, but, but they're, they're persons living in that day. They're living in the real world that day just as we live in the real world. And, and they have, they're still Jewish nationals. They're concerned about the world in which they live. They're not, this is not ivory tower talk. This is, this is life stuff. And so they have this on their minds. And Jesus says this. It's not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority. There in verse 7. It's not for you to know this. See, the Father has the calendar. It's not for you to know when the heavenly kingdom will come. You see, it's not going to be an earthly kingdom. In fact, the timing is not even for 
me to know. This is what Jesus would say. Not even Jesus knows. What? Really? Well, if you remember, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus himself says, about that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So, if you are riding downtown and you see a billboard saying that the, you know, that the last day on earth is going to be whatever, that's, that's a bowl of soup. That's not, that's not real. Not even Jesus knows when he's returning. The Father's going to say, it's time. So they're, they're all thinking these things, and Jesus has been giving them directions. Stay on task. Stay on task. It's a phrase we use commonly. Stay on task, stay focused, follow my directions, listen. Here's the plan, stick with the plan. Stay, stay on task. And, and Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has, has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. You shall be my witnesses. In essence, that's the theme of the entire book of Acts. That's it. We're going to see examples of gospel witness in Jerusalem. We'll see examples in Acts chapter 6. We'll see examples of gospel witness in, in this area called Judea in uh, Acts 9 and 12, for example. We'll, we'll see witness for the gospel in Samaria, which is outside of these two. It's kind of a forbidden zone. When the Lord puts Philip there in Acts chapter 8, we'll, we'll see the Apostle Paul beginning to bring gospel witness to Rome and to the uttermost parts of the earth in the, in the remainder of the book of Acts. You shall be witnesses. You are to tell the world. Tell the world. That, that's it. That's the final speech. That, that's the final command. That's the command for these apostles. That's the command for their disciples, the ones who would follow the, this group of men. And this is the command to us, the body of Christ, the church, to tell the world. Jesus is saying, tell the world about me. He's saying, tell them that I came to bring life through the forgiveness for sin. See, that's where it starts. And I came to bring hope for this forgiven life. And I came to bring the promise of eternity for all who would be willing to trust my words, those who are willing to, to follow me. You see, this is our task, to tell the world, and, and we need to stay on task. In verse 9, we read that after Jesus has said these things, he is lifted up while they're watching, and a cloud takes him up out of their sight. He commissions them, and then he is going, going, gone. Can you imagine? Can't you just see them? They're gazing intently into the sky while he's going, 
And then behold, two men in white clothing are standing beside of them. Perhaps it's the same two men who met the women at the empty tomb on Easter morning in Luke chapter 24. The two men were there, and like the two men at the tomb who asked the women, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? He's not here, for, for he's risen. They, they ask the women that question, and these two, I think it's the same two, they ask the apostles a question. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. It's a good reminder. You know, there Jesus told us back in Matthew that, that there's going to be some who say they're Christ's and Messiah's, and they're going to say, go out into the woods, and he's out there, or he's back there in the back room, go back there, check him out. And these angels have confirmed that he's going to return the same way in which he's leaving. And Jesus himself has said that. But they're reminding the apostles of what they've been taught. Why do you stand here? You know, sometimes we struggle with moving on, don't we? Sometimes we, we struggle with moving on with things of life. Sometimes we struggle with moving on with our mission. Don't we? The, these disciples, these apostles, they've, they've just witnessed a once in an eternity event. <laughs> so, on one hand, we really ought to cut them some slack. They're trying to process this stuff. They've watched an event about which the rest of us can only read and, and we can only imagine it. And these, these messengers, these, these angels, appear before them, beside them, and they ask this question, why do you stand here? It's, it's time to get to work. It's time to do what Jesus has directed you to do. It's, it's time to stay on task with that. Thinking about what Jesus has said, all of it that he's, that he's said this morning, and, and thinking about what Jesus said to the apostles receiving power for, for gospel witness, and, and thinking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and then when Jesus was baptized by John, and all that happened at that moment, there's another very special time. In Jesus' life, when, when the Heavenly Father spoke from the heavens. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter and James and John and, and he leads them up to a high mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them. His face shines like the sun. His, his, his clothes become as white as the light. Like we sing, 
Oh, what a foretaste of, of glory divine. It's a hint of Jesus' glory. And these men have received a special invitation. And behold, Moses and Elijah, they appear and they're talking with Jesus. Can you imagine watching this? Peter says to Jesus, Peter, the man with the plan, he says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here, if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you and, and one for Moses and one for Elijah. They want to stay on a mountain. You've heard the term mountaintop experience? We want to stay on a mountain. We like the mountain. Have you ever had a time or a, a memory or season of life where you just don't want to leave it? That's the temptation of memory, I think. Maybe that's the seduction of, of sentimentality. Sometimes it's hard to move on. Peter has this plan. Peter has this plan, and, and behold, a bright cloud overshadows them. And suddenly this voice comes out of the cloud, like this voice came from the heavens at the moment following Jesus' baptism. This voice says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And they've heard this before. But then the voice says one more thing. Hear him. Hear my son. Listen to my son. God told Peter and James and John to listen to Jesus. And, and that's still the case today. Jesus gives commands to which we are we're to listen. We are to hear Him. We are to listen to Jesus, and we are to stay on task. We need to listen to the exact truth about the things which, which we've been taught. As Luke told that man Theophilus in the introduction to the gospel, of his gospel and in this letter, we also need to know the exact truth about the things that we've been taught. But our challenge, we, we get distracted. We, we let situations or, or circumstances or, or disappointments derail our, our Christian walk and our witness. As I said last time, in the coming days, we're, we're going to be stretched by Scripture. Scripture will challenge our understanding of ourselves and our culture. Scripture will probably challenge our opinions. Scripture will, will probably challenge how we live and, and how we relate to one another. And you, and you know what? These are all good things. These are good things. At the end of the day, as we engage in anything, we should ask the question, what does Scripture say? We can count on it. 
we can trust it to be our final authority. That's the authority that the early church could place its faith in on what the church had been told by all the prophets concerning the one who came to bring forgiveness and hope from sin and death and hell. What does Scripture say? That Jesus came to bring life through the forgiveness of sin. Jesus came to bring hope for lives who were forgiven, who would turn from sin and turn to Him. He would bring forgiveness. Then He would bring hope. And Jesus came to to bring the promise of eternity for all who would be willing to trust His words. For those who were willing to follow Him. And this is the command to us, the the body of Christ, the, the church, to tell the world to follow His directions and to stay on task.